Today's read, Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization, Part 1, Nile Valley Civilization, written by Anthony T. Browder. Chapter 1, The Nile Valley. The emergence of civilization in ancient Egypt was nothing more than the outgrowth of the culture that developed along the Nile Valley. It is in the Nile Valley where one can find the greatest primary evidence of the earliest beginnings of agriculture, architecture, engineering, language, writing, philosophy, science, and religion. In short, all of the essential components that would lead to the development of a great civilization. The Nile Valley extends over 4,000 miles from the highlands on the east coast of Central Africa to the Delta region in the extreme north. The origins of the mighty waterway which courses through the Nile Valley have been traced to the twin sources of the Nile River which are called the Blue Nile and the White Nile. The Blue Nile begins at Lake Tana which is located in the mountainous region of northern Ethiopia near the city of Gondor and the Choke Mountains. This river contains within its flow extremely rich mineral deposits called silt, which played a major role in the physical evolution of the lands to the north and the development of agriculture in Egypt. The Nile Valley and the Nile Delta are among the most fertile farming areas in the world because of the silt which was deposited upon their shores during the annual flood season. An estimated 70% of the Nile's water comes from the Blue Nile. The second major tributary to the Nile Valley River system is the White Nile, which has its beginnings in the Great Lakes region of Central Africa along the equator. Approximately half of the water which flows from the White Nile evaporates as it courses through the Sud, a vast swamp in southern Sudan. The primary source for the White Nile is the body of water originally called Nyanza, or lake, by the indigenous population thousands of years ago. Nyanza is surrounded by the countries of Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania. It is the largest lake in Africa and the second largest in the world, exceeded in size only by Lake Superior in the United States. Nyanza was renamed Lake Victoria by the English explorer John Speck, who discovered it in 1858 and named it in honor of Queen Victoria, the British monarch. There are numerous lakes and rivers feeding into the White Nile. They are primarily the result of the water runoff from Mount Kilimanjaro, which borders Tanzania and Kenya. Kilimanjaro, the tallest mountain in Africa, rises to a height of 19,340 feet. The second major contributor to the waters of the White Nile is the Ruwenzori Mountains, which border the countries of Uganda and Zaire. For centuries, this area of equatorial Africa has been called the Mountain of the Moon by the native inhabitants. As a matter of fact, in the language of Kiswahili, Kilimanjaro means Mountain of the Moon. As does the as does the Buganda word, Rwenzori. Rwenzori. The term White Nile describes the raging waters of the southern branch of this mighty river, and Blue Nile 
is an appropriate description for the body of water which is the noticeably calmer of the two. It is in Sudan, in a city called Khartoum, where the two rivers meet and form the singular Nile River, which continues its northerly flow into the delta area of northern Egypt, where it empties into the Mediterranean Sea. The word Khartoum means elephant's tusk and is a geographic metaphor which describes the coming together of the two branches of the Nile. The Nile Valley River system is the world's longest waterway, 4,160 miles, and it irrigates approximately 2,800,000 acres of land in Sudan and 7,600,000 acres in Egypt. An interesting fact about the Nile is that it and the Amazon, which is the world's second longest river, are the only major rivers which flow from south to north. The migratory pattern of the people who navigated the Nile from up south to down north was to later play a major role in the development of civilization in ancient Egypt. The country of Egypt, which lies in the lowlands of the Nile Valley, is nothing more than the extension of the lands that expanded northward from the south. It is generally believed that the delta region of northern Egypt was created by the accumulation of silt from the Blue Nile, which was deposited upon the shore over the course of thousands of years during the annual flood season. The 600-mile narrow strip of fertile land that lies within the boundaries of Egypt from what is now referred to as the first cataract to the Mediterranean, exists only because of the waters from the south which led to its development. Within the singular body of the Nile River are six low-lying areas of rocky waterfalls called cataracts. These cataracts posed the only major impediment to the continued navigation of vessels through the river. Because the Nile flows from the south, to the north, to travel down the Nile would mean traveling in a northerly direction. It was because of the northerly flow of the Nile that southern Egypt was originally originally referred to as Upper Egypt and the North Lower Egypt. The references to the numerical order of the six cataracts plays an important role in determining one's perspective of Egypt in both ancient and modern times. When traveling down the Nile in a northerly direction from south-central Africa to the Mediterranean, the ancient Niloitic people encountered the first cataract in Sudan, north of Khartoum, and the sixth cataract in Egypt, south of Aswan. However, since the European explorers navigated up the Nile in a southerly direction, they naturally refer to Egypt as the location of the first cataract and Sudan as the site of the sixth cataract. Because of a predilection for a northerly orientation, European explorers coming fresh from the Mediterranean into the Nile Valley literally and geographically turned Egypt upside down. The Nile has often been referred to as a cultural highway 
and has been traveled by hundreds of thousands of people for thousands of years. Traveling northward down the river, the earliest Neolithic people brought with them their cultural traditions, which continue to evolve with each successive migration. In the earliest documents of the ancient Egyptians, their historians often recounted stories of their southern roots. John Jackson, author of Introduction to African Civilization, cites a historic reference. The Edfu text is an important source document on the early history of the Nile Valley. This famous inscription found in the Temple of Horus at Edfu gives an account of the origin of Egyptian civilization. According to this record, civilization was brought from the south by a band of invaders under the leadership of King Horus. Jackson's statements of Egypt's southern origin have been echoed numerous times by the eminent Egyptologist Dr. Yosef ben Yakanen, addressing an audience at a lecture before the Greater London Council, London, England, in 1986, Dr. Ben Yakanen stated, In the London Museum, you will find a document called the Papyrus of Hunefer. And I quote from the Hieratic writing, We came from the beginning of the Nile, where God, Hapi, dwells, at the foothills of the mountains of the moon. Where is the beginning of the Nile? The furthest point of the beginning of the Nile is in Uganda. This is the White Nile. Another point is in Ethiopia. The Blue Nile and White Nile meet in Khartoum. And the other side of Khartoum is the Omdurman Republic of Sudan. From there, it flows from the south down north. And there it meets with the Atbara River in Atbara, Sudan. Then it flows completely through Sudan into the southern part of what the Romans called Nubia and parallel on the Nile part of which the Greeks called Egypticus. The English called it Egypt and the Jews in their mythology called it Misraim, which the current Arabs called Mitse. Mitzrayir. Thus, it ends in the Sea of Saïs, also called the Great Sea, today's Mediterranean Sea. Dr. Asa G. Hilliard III, a widely respected educational psychologist and historian, cites additional references for the southern origins of the early Egyptians. Their legends tell of their origins in the south at the sources of the Hapi, Rose, cites the Edfu text as authority for the legend of a southern origin of the pre-dynastic Kemites, Egyptians. The land up south was called Taneter, or the land of God. They faced south to get their bearings. The word for left hand and the word for east are the same, as are the words for right hand and west. The only possible way that the left hand could indicate east and the right hand west is if one is oriented to the south and that view served as your point of origin. Dr. Charles Finch, a distinguished physician and historian, 
also commented on this interesting aspect of ancient Egyptian cultural and geographical orientation. Further evidence is found in the Egyptians' anthro- anthropomorphic representations of the passage of sun across the heavens in which the boat of the sun begins its morning or eastern ascent on the left side of the sky goddess Nut, who thus is in a southern heaven despite Egypt's northern hemispheric location. Ancient Egypt has often been referred to as the gift of the Nile, and it is believed by many scholars, both ancient and modern, that Egypt was nothing more than the extension of the civilization which had its origins in Ethiopia. Chancellor Williams, author of The Destruction of Black Civilization, expressed his agreement with this point of view in the second chapter of his book entitled Ethiopia's Oldest Daughter, Egypt. John Jackson, author of the monumental book Introduction to African Civilization, has similarly titled the second chapter of his work Ethiopia and the Origin of Civilization. In this chapter, Jackson Jackson comments on the Greek origins of the word Ethiopia. When the Greeks came in contact with the dusky inhabitants of Africa and Asia, they called them the burnt faces. The Greek word for burnt was ethios, and the word for face was ops, so ethios plus ops became Ethiopian. Many of the words currently used to describe ancient Egypt, its cities, artifacts, and historical personalities are not indigenous and were derived from Greek, Arabic, French, and British interpretations. For example, the word Egypt is of Greek origin and was originally used to describe the ancient capital city of Menes or Memphis. Today, the word Egypt refers to the entire nation. John Jackson provides additional insight on the evolution of this country's name. It may be of interest to the reader to know that the ancient Egyptians did not call themselves Egyptians. The name was invented by the Greeks. The first Greek visitors to Egypt in the 7th century BC were greatly impressed by the Temple of Ptah at Memphis. They regarded it as the grandest structure in the Nile Valley, and they afterward referred to this ancient land as Hekapta, the land of the Temple of Ptah. In the Greek language, Hekapta became Aegyptus, and under the Roman rule, the name was Latinized into Aegyptus, from whence we get the name Egypt. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Memphis was the site of the first capital of Egypt and named in honor of Menes, the ruler who unified the two lands of Upper, Southern, and Lower, Northern Egypt. 
It is important to note that Menes is the Greek name for the African ruler whose name was originally Namar. This city was so vast that it was once described by Arab travelers in the Middle Ages as stretching a day's journey in every direction. Although little remains of this historic site, John Anthony West, author of The Traveler's Key to Ancient Egypt, describes its significance. In ancient Egypt, Memphis was called Ineb Hedge, the White Wall, possibly referring to the great enclosure wall of Saqqara nearby. In the Middle Kingdom, it was called Ankh Tawi, that which binds the two lands. Some scholars believe that the name of one of the new kingdom temples at Memphis, Hai Ka Temple of the Ka of Ta, is the source of the Greek Egyptos from whence both Egypt and Coptic. Memphis is believed to be a Greek corruption of Menefer, which means established in beauty. Historically, in the Old Kingdom, Memphis was the seat of the administrative and religious power of ancient Egypt. During this time, the term double white house was also used to describe the painted mud brick palace in which the king lived, which was constructed within the white wall. The kings of Egypt were later given the title Pharaoh by a foreign ruler. It is a word which means great house and is derived from the term Per-Ah. Incidentally, the word Pharaoh is also of foreign origin. The term was first used in the New Kingdom by an Asian to describe the king of Egypt. John West also described some of the many problems created by the Greeks who not only renamed the city of Memphis, but numerous temples, deities, and historic personalities. The Greeks appear guilty of any number of severe etymological crimes, producing chops out of Khufu, Toth out of Jehudi, at the same time causing almost inextricable confusion even among scholars since Certain Greek names, such as Memphis, have taken such prominence that the proper Egyptian names are seldom used, while in other cases the Egyptian names prevail, and in still other cases the Greek and Egyptian are freely interchanged. Chancellor Williams reminds us that the importance of using the earliest African name to describe the land now referred to as Egypt. There was no Egypt before the black king from whose name it was indirectly derived. Before that, the country was called Kem or Kemi, another name indicating its black inhabitants, and not the color of the soil as some writers have needlessly strained themselves in asserting. Prior to the Greek use of the word Egypt, Africans referred to their land as Kemet, that is, the black land. Kemet was the strongest term used by the ancients in pharaonic times to indicate blackness. It meant coal black. The word Kemet, K-M-T, written in hieroglyph form, was represented by a block of wood which was charred on the end. The name which the people of Kemet called themselves was Kemu, K-E-M-M-I-U which literally translates as the blacks. 
The word Kimu was also used to describe the vast population that inhabited a considerable portion of the Nile Valley. In ancient times, there was no physical distinction made between the people who occupied the lands now called Egypt and Sudan. The ancient Egyptians saw themselves as blacks who were portrayed as no different from other blacks in Africa, but were physically and phenotypically different from the Indo-Europeans, Caucasoids, or the Semites, Mulattoes. Charles Finch informs us that the ancient Egyptians were Charles Finch informs us that the ancient Egyptian word for the African lands to the south of them was Kenti Kenitu, denoting the Sudanic peoples who lived there, and this is also their word for first, foremost, beginning, origin, and chief. Authors note, for the purpose of historical clarity, we will henceforth use the word Kemet to describe ancient Egypt. Circa 3200 BCE through the 3rd century BCE, the word Egypt will be used to describe the land after the Greek occupation in 332 BCE. The term BCE references incidents which occurred before the common Christian era, and ACE references events after the common era. The common era for Christian era begins with the birth of Jesus the Christ as referenced by those nations which use the Gregorian calendar. Chapter 2, The Peopling of Kemet and Egypt. Kustal, the world's oldest monarchy. On March 1st, 1979, the New York Times lived up to its slogan, All the News That's Fit to Print, when it featured a cover story of earth-shaking significance. The article was written by Broyce Ressenberger, a science writer for the Times, and was entitled Ancient Nubian Artifacts Yield Evidence of Earliest Monarchy. This article recounted the archaeological discovery of the late archaeologist Dr. Keith Seal, who served as the director of the University of Chicago's Oriental Institute Nubian Expedition in 1962. Professors Keith Steele and Bruce Williams discovered artifacts in Nubia which supported the pre-dynastic birthplace of a pharaonic civilization in the ancient Nubian city of Kustal, Q-U-S-T-U-L. Although the discoveries were made around 1964, the news of the find was not made public until 1979. No publication other than the Times devoted any appreciable space to Dr. Seale's archaeological research. Dr. Seale's expedition, in a dramatic race against time, directed its research in an area that was soon to be flooded by the rising waters of Lake Nasser, which was created by the newly constructed Aswan High Dam. The Seale team concentrated its efforts in Upper Egypt, in an area north of the Sudanese border, at an ancient Nubian site called Taseti, which was euphemistically referred to as Land of the Bow. This name was the earliest hieroglyphic description for Nubia, the southernmost gnome or province of Kemet, and it referred to the skilled archers of ancient Nubia. More than 5,000 artifacts were unearthed 
by SEAL's team during their digs in Nubia. At that time, the Oriental Institute had no one on staff to catalog the artifacts. Dr. Williams, an archaeological Egyptologist, changed his area of focus to Nubian archaeology and assumed the responsibility for organizing the collection. After Dr. Seal's death in 1977, Williams began publishing the findings of the Nubian expedition, and to date, he has authored nine volumes in a continuing series on Nubian excavations. As a result of his current research, Williams feels that Nubia can no longer be looked upon as an appendage of Egyptology and a stepsister to ancient Kemet, but as an independent field of archaeological study. Recently analyzed artifacts suggest that the first Nubian civilization developed around 3800 BCE and lasted until approximately 652 ACE, although the civilizations of Nubia and Kemet emerged about the same time, the Nubian civilization actually lasted longer. The earliest period of Nubian civilization is classified as the A group, circa 3800 to 3100 BCE. This culture was succeeded by a second called the C group, circa 2300 to 1500 BCE. Both groups are said to have flourished in lower Nubia, while to the south above the third cataract, a third group called Kerma culture developed circa 2050-50 BCE. This monarchy was referred to in the Kemetic records of the Old Kingdom as the Ancient Kingdom of Kush. During the 3rd century BCE, the heartland of Nubian civilization was located further south in the city of Mero. The Meroitic civilization, circa 200 BCE to 300 ACE, is well known for its temples at Musawarat Esufra, Naga and Moro, and for its many royal pyramid tombs. A 2,000-year-old sandstone tablet, which was discovered in 1963, may hold the key to deciphering the Meroitic writing system, which is closely related to the Medunetcher hieroglyphics. The last known great Nubian culture was the Balana, or X group, circa 250 to 550 ACE. The tombs of this civilization were found in Lower Nubia and excavated in the 1930s. Of all the numerous items discovered in Nubia, the most significant were found in an A-group gravesite called Cemetery L, which yielded artifacts that were created six to seven generations, approximately 200 years before the start of the first dynasty in Kemet, 3150 BCE. The most impressive discovery on earth was a stone incense burner, which was found in the city of Kustal, Q-U-S-T-U-L, the ancient capital of the Nubian kingdom called Taseti. Engravings on the side of the incense burner are scenes depicting the following, a sereke, or paneled palace facade, the falcon god Horus, which substantiates the southern Nubian origins of the Holy Royal Trinity, which consisted of Osiris, Isis, and their son Horus, a representation of a king or pharaoh wearing the traditional beard and crown of Upper Kemet while sailing in a boat toward the royal palace. 
elements of iconography which were later to become an integral part of comedic writing and art. The discovery of this artifact has led Dr. Williams to remark, the idea of a pharaoh may have come down the Nile from Nubia to Egypt, and that would make Nubian civilization the ancestor of Egypt's, at least in one critical aspect. As a result of the re-examination of data concerning ancient Nubia, many scholars have concluded that the Nubians were an extremely sophisticated people who built cities, roads, and temples comparable to those of the people of Kemet in the north. It has even been suggested by one researcher that there were more pyramids constructed in Nubia than in Kemet. Unfortunately, the likelihood of further archaeological study of Kustal or any other site in Nubia is all but impossible because many of the primary areas of investigation now lie under 250 feet of water at the bottom of Lake Nasser. This man-made lake covers an area of approximately 1,550 square miles, and it is the second largest man-made lake in the world. Since 1981, the Nubian Lake, as it is sometimes called, has covered an area which extends from the sixth cataract to beyond the fifth cataract. It has an average width of six miles, and it is 50 miles wide in some areas. One-third of the waters of this lake cover northern Sudan and the remaining two-thirds blanket southern Egypt. During the construction of the Aswan High Dam 1960 to 1968 and the subsequent creation of Lake Nasser, 40 Nubian villages were relocated further inland. Thousands of Nubians were resettled in and around the city of Aswan and in villages further north. However, an untold number drowned when they refused to leave the lands that their ancestors had occupied for more than 5,000 years. In addition to the displacement of human beings, a total of 18 ancient temples were dismantled and relocated. Of the 18 temples that were moved, 12 are still in Egypt and the remaining four can be found in museums in Madrid, Spain, Rome, Italy, Leiden, Holland, and New York City in the United States. These temples were presented as gifts to those nations that assisted in the construction of the Aswan High Dam. There is no way to estimate the total number of temples and tombs which now lie at the bottom of Lake Nasser, nor is there any way of knowing the many secrets that these structures currently hold. One thing is certain, because of the creation of the Aswan Dam, the world will never have an opportunity to study the full impact Africans from the southern Nile Valley had on the development of ancient Kemet and subsequent civilizations. The Nubians, the Egyptians of today, are not the same people as the ancient Kemites of 5,000 years ago, just as the Americans of today are not the same as the Native Americans of 500 years ago. The Egypt of today is an, is an Islamic nation, which is currently inhabited by peoples from Assyria, Syria, Persia, Europe, and other areas of the world who have, through a process of miseg 
miscegenation over a period of thousands of years evolved into the Egyptian of today. In order to correctly address the issue of race in modern Egypt, one must have a clear understanding of the racial makeup of the peoples who originally occupied that land, where they came from, and where their descendants currently live. They certainly haven't all disappeared into the modern Egyptian melting pot. These indigenous people are still called Nubians today. The area called Nubia was divided into two regions, Lower Nubia in southern Egypt and Upper Nubia in northern Sudan. The word Nubia was derived from the Kemetic word Nub, which meant gold. Thus, Nubia was referred to as the land of gold, and its people were called Nubians, or people from the land of gold. In addition to gold, ebony, incense, spices, ivory, feathers, and animal skins were also exported to Kemet from Nubia. Nubia was much more than a source for the vital mineral resources which were required for architectural, artistic, and personal use in Kemet. Nubia was the lifeline of ancient Kemet and the source of its language, philosophy, and religion. For more than 3,000 years of pharaonic rule, Nubia played a pivotal role in the development and maintenance of its daughter nation Kemet, particularly during the New Kingdom, circa 1550 to 1196 BCE. During this time, Nubia was ruled by the Kemetic king Amenhotep I, and his new providence was administered by an official who was referred to as the king's son of Kush. In recounting a brief history of Nubia in the spring 1992 issue of News and Notes, a newsletter of the Oriental Institute, Emily Teeter, assistant curator of the Oriental Institute Museum, wrote, By Dynasty 22, circa 945 BC, Egypt fragmented into rival states. When Thebes and her allies in Middle Egypt were threatened from the north, the Theban officials appealed to the Kushite kings at Napata, who styled themselves the protectors of the god Amun. Amun. In 747 BC, Nubian troops led by King Pianki marched to Thebes, and thereafter they moved northward, conquering Memphis and restoring unity to Egypt. This period of Nubian rule in Egypt is referred to as Dynasty 25. With few exceptions, the kings resided at Napata, leaving the administration of Egypt to their sisters and daughters. These gods' wives of Amun dwelled in Thebes, and assisted by Egyptian administrators, they served as the theocratic rulers of Egypt. The Nubian rulers remained in control of of Kemet, for approximately 100 years until they were finally overrun by the Assyrian armies of King Ashurbanipal. The Nubian kings retreated into Kush where they continued to rule at Napata 400 years later, 250, 250 BCE. They moved the center of Nubian civilization further south where they continued to flourish in the city of Meroe. Despite their retreat into Upper Kush, the Nubians continued to have contact with European forces. In the first century ACE, ambassadors of the Roman Emperor Nero were given passports by the Nubian king, who sent letters to the rulers of cities further south, instructing them 
to give the Romans safe passage into Central Africa. The continued contact with the Roman emissaries of Emperor Justinian eventually led to the conversion of the Nubians to Christianity in the 6th century ACE. While much of northern Africa was overpowered by the advancing forces of Islam, the superiority of the Nubian army, particularly her famed archers, held the Arabs in check and defeated them at Dongola in 652 ACE. Nubia was able to stave off the ever-increasing advances of Islamic forces longer than any other region in Africa and continued to remain a Coptic Christian nation for almost 1,000 more years. The nation, which was once ancient Kush, is now called Sudan. It is the largest country in Africa. As late as 1909, American Egyptologist George Reisner curator of the Boston Museum espoused the view that Nubia was originally governed by white Libyans who created this ancient civilization and later withdrew leaving it to be governed by blacks. Many of the early archaeological expeditions were financed by wealthy businessmen who endowed museums and religiously believed in the superiority of the white race. Evidence of this outdated view can still be found in the 1986 edition of the World Book Encyclopedia, which which describes the people of the Sudan as descendants of African blacks and Nubians, brown-skinned people related to the early Egyptians and Libyans. African blacks who belong to several different ethnic groups live in the South. Timothy Kendall, the associate curator of the Boston Museum of Fine Arts, has an entirely different view of the Nubians than his predecessor, George Reisner, had in 1909. Kendall states, These controversies over the Egyptians' racial origins obscure the fact that, to the south of Egypt, in Nubia, there was a literate and undeniable black civilization. One of the world's most respected experts, E.A. Wallace Budge, addresses the issue in his book, Egypt. The prehistoric native of Egypt, both in the Old and New Stone Ages, was an African, and there is every reason for saying that the earliest settlers came from the South. There are many things in the manners and customs and religions of the historic Egyptians that suggest that the original home of their prehistoric ancestors was in a country in the neighborhood of Uganda and Punt. A lesser-known writer by the name of Lady Flora Shaw Lugard also advanced the notion of a southern black African origin of ancient Kemet. In her book, A Tropical Dependency, an outline of the ancient history of the Western Sudan, Lugard discusses the significance of the role played in the city of Mero. This remarkable spot is regarded by the ancients as the cradle of the arts and sciences where hieroglyphic writing was discovered and where temples and pyramids had already sprung up while Egypt still remained ignorant of their existence. It is most unfortunate that traditional and accepted experts are only now beginning to acknowledge the true origins of civilization in the Nile Valley. For many decades, African scholars such as Binyakinen, Jackson, Clark, Hansberry, Dubois, Dungey, Huston, Rogers, and numerous others have intelligently argued their case and provided substantial evidence to support their assertions. Without the benefit of the true history of the indigenous population of modern-day Egypt, 
one would not suspect that the Nubians had any significant role to play in the shaping of early life in the Nile Valley. Present-day Egyptian Nubians live under conditions somewhat reminiscent of conditions of Negroes in Jim Crow-era America. In many respects, Nubians are often relegated to the lowest rung of the social, political, and economic ladder in Egypt, and a distinction is often made between Nubian and Egyptian people and culture. Walter B. Emery, Edwards Professor of Egyptology at the University of London, made the following remarks concerning the employment expectations of many Nubians in his book, Lost Land Emerging. For generations, the Nubians have earned their livelihood as domestic servants or as sailors of the Upper Egyptian Nile, in both of which professions I think they may be considered masters. All the best butlers and cooks in Egypt are from Nubia, and certainly the most reliable janitors of Cairo's great apartment houses, offices, and hotels almost invariably come from somewhere south of Aswan. In many respects, the Egypto-Nubian population has a historical and cultural relationship that is far closer to the people of Kemet than modern Egyptians. However, because of innate frailties of the human species, irrespective of religious ideology, modern Nubians are often regarded as second-class citizens in their own nation, and their rich history is often overlooked. Two Egyptians of Nubian ancestry have played major roles in the development of modern Egypt. The first was General Mohammed Naguib, who led the revolution in 1952, which overthrew King Farouk, thereby ending 2,300 years of foreign rule in Egypt. Naguib became Egypt's first president in 1953, but was later overthrown by Gamal Abdel Nasser in 1954. References to Egyptians as Arabs is a relatively recent phenomenon that was instituted by Nasser, who formed a United Arab Public in late 1958. Following the death of Nasser in 1970, Anwar Sadat became Egypt's third president and proclaimed his Nubian ancestry when he declared himself the first true Egyptian pharaoh in modern times. Sadat was a co-recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize in 1978 and award-winning African-American actor Louis Louis Gossett Jr. was selected for the starring role in a motion picture depicting the life of Anwar Sadat. Historians are quick to note that the Nubians were often at odds with the people of Kemet, who often enslaved Nubian prisoners of war. But what is not commonly addressed is that the people of Kemet, while acknowledging geographical and political differences between themselves and the people of Nubia, did not denote any physical differences. Carvings from the tomb of Ramesses III portray the Nubians and Kemites as identical and Indo-Europeans and Semites as profoundly different in physical appearance and dress. It is as foolhardy to suggest that the people of Kemet were phenotypically different from their Nubian, Sudanese, or Ethiopian neighbors, as it is to suggest that the people of France, Switzerland, and Germany are phenotypically different from one another. With the exception of Southern African countries, National boundaries have done more to distinguish cultural and political differences than racial differences. A Historical Overview of Kemet and Ancient Egypt 
No one knows for certain when civilization in Kemet first began, though oral records indicate that a considerable amount of activity was taking place as early as 20,000 BCE, BCE, according to Sir Gaston Maspero in his publication, The Dawn of Civilization. The Egyptians made their first appearance on the stage of history about 8,000 to 10,000 BCE. It is generally agreed that a number of pre-dynastic kingdoms, Tasseti and others, existed hundreds of years before the consolidation of power, which led to the unification of the country that is now geographically referred to as Egypt. The term dynasty refers to a family or a period of rulership during a specific era. The practice of dividing the many kingdoms of Kemet into dynastic periods was first established by a Greco-Egyptian priest named Manetho during the 3rd century BCE. Manetho was commissioned by Ptolemy Philadelphus to write the definitive history of the country, which he subsequently chronicled in a book entitled History of Egypt. Regrettably, much of this history was lost when the Library of Alexandria was destroyed. However, the remaining fragments of Manetho's chronology provides us with some clues as to the names of the early rulers. There is general disagreement among modern Egyptologists and other historians regarding the exact dates of the dynastic periods. Some historians have recorded the establishment of the first dynasty as early as the 5th millennium BCE, and others documented as beginning in the 3rd millennium BCE, while most historians have adopted the conservative date of 3150 BCE as the beginning of the first dynasty. New data is continuing to surface which tends to support earlier dates for the establishment of the first dynasty in Kemet. Even though the early history of Kemet remains shrouded in mystery, there is general agreement upon the division of Kemet into 30 dynastic periods, which lasted until the Greek conquest in 332 BCE. The Greco-Roman rulership of Egypt extends from 332 BCE to 395 A.C.E., after which all traces of Egyptian culture were suppressed. The dynasties of Kemet have been divided into four kingdoms of stable rulership and three intermediate periods that were either racked with internal disorder or periods of foreign occupation. All historical dates prior to the 26th dynasty are approximations and vary considerably from source to source. Summary. With the discovery of the ancient city of Tasseti, it can now be said with impunity that the oldest monarchy in the world, and indeed the progenitor of the monarchies of Kemet, were of indigenous African black stock. The first 12 dynasties, 3150 to 1783 BCE, were also African. It was during this time period that Kemet was unified as one nation. All the pyramids were built and the great literary texts which comprised the Book of the Dead were written. The first military and foreign occupation of Kemet was the Hyksos invasion, 1783 to 1550 BCE. The Hyksos were foreigners from Palestine and surrounding areas who immigrated into Lower Kemet and gradually seized control. 
The word Hyksos is of Kemetic origin and means chieftains of foreign countries. Historians credit them with introducing the horse and chariot into Kemet, but it is important to note that this foreign conquest was totally destructive and that no architecture, art, or literature was produced during the period that Kemet was under siege. After approximately 233 years of rulership, the Hyksos were driven out of Kemet by native African forces from the south, who not only moved the seat of government back to Waset, Thebes, Luxor, but extended their border into Asia to minimize the possibility of further invasion from the north. It was during the 18th and 19th dynasties of the Middle Kingdom that Kemet instituted the greatest architectural and military expansion into its in, in its entire history. The wonderful temples at Luxor and Karnak are a living testament to this grand epoch in human civilization. For the next 500 years, Kemet experienced unprecedented growth and development, which was followed by 300 years of internal turmoil and political instability. While teetering once more on the brink of uncertainty, the ruling body of Kemet looked to the south for leadership. Salvation came in the personage of the Nubian king, Pianki, who secured the northern borders and once again unified the two lands, thus paving the way for Kemet to experience what would inevitably what would inevitably be her final years of glory. In 525 BCE, Kemet experienced the first of two devastating invasions by the Persians. The Persian rulers were merciless, and after a brief defeat by the army of Kemet in 380 BCE, they returned with a vengeance in 343 BCE. From that fateful day onward, Kemet would never again be ruled by an indigenous African population. The Persians were driven from Egypt by Alexander of Macedonia in 332 BCE. After securing the country, Alexander began developing plans to build a great city on the Mediterranean coast in honor of his latest conquest, but he died before this dream was realized. All of the lands that had been conquered by Alexander's troops were subsequently divided among his generals. Egypt fell into the hands of the general Ptolemy, who honored his fallen commander by completing the plans for the construction of the new city, which he named Alexandria, in honor of his former commander-in-chief. The rulership of the Ptolemaic kings was unique because of their desire to immerse themselves into the traditions of ancient Kemet. Following an age-old custom, these Greek rulers married into the Egyptian royal families in an attempt to maintain dynastic rulership which was passed on by the queen to her offspring. The last of the Ptolemies to rule Egypt was Cleopatra. Hmm. Cleopatra V. seven, who wooed both Julius Caesar and Mark Antony in an attempt to prevent Roman control and occupation of Egypt. Cleopatra was unsuccessful in her attempts to maintain Egypt's sovereignty, which became a colony of Rome in 30 BCE after her death. The Romans, like the Greeks before them, saw great value in the civilization of Kemet and incorporated these elements, those elements, most easily discernible into their culture. Egypt's, Egypt's 
greatest gift to Rome was her ability to supply unlimited food to her mighty army. During this period, Egypt was referred to as the breadbasket of the Roman Empire. But in the final analysis, it was not the Roman army that ultimately brought Egypt to her knees and destroyed her. It was the newly emerging religion of Christianity. From its early beginnings, Christianity was embraced more readily in Egypt than anywhere else worldwide, primarily because of its similarity to the ancient religion of Kemet. Coptic, which became the official language of the early Christians, is essentially nothing more than the language of Kemet hieroglyphs written in Greek letters. In 333 ACE, Constantine declared Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire and ordered the closing of all Egyptian temples. In an attempt to eradicate any and all competing religious systems, the African trinity of Asar, Aset, and Heru, Osiris, Isis, and Horus, which existed for more than 4,000 years, was replaced with a trinity which consisted of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In 325 ACE, and the Christian bishops who met at the Council of Nicaea introduced a new religious theology which contained doctrines similar to the African concepts of a virgin birth, resurrection, and salvation. This new version of Christianity lacked significant African elements which were viewed as competitive and were subsequently outlawed by the Byzantine emperors. Sometime during the reign of the Emperor Justinian 527 to 565 ACE, the last of the Egyptian priests were driven out of the Temple of Philae in Upper Egypt. The structure was then converted into a Christian church. During this same time, the written languages of the ancient Kemites, Medunecher and Demotic, were so totally repressed that the ability to read them would remain shrouded in mystery for more than 1300 years. During the next 1500 years, Egypt was systematically raped and pillaged by an untold number of foreign rulers and explorers who destroyed monuments, robbed tombs, and wrecked havoc throughout the land. Napoleon's conquest of Egypt in 1798 and the subsequent publication of Description de l'Egypte ignited a new interest in ancient history which led to the development of the science of Egyptology. More has been learned about ancient Kemet within the last 200 years than any other time within the past two millennium. No other nation on earth has had the privilege of 3,000 years of cultural and historical con continuity, nor has been the object of such intense international scrutiny Modern archaeologists, geologists, and other scientists are constantly uncovering treasures and re-evaluating their knowledge of ancient Kemet. Based upon their new findings, it is certain that the length and breadth of this great civilization is yet to be fully realized. Many reputations have been made and others shattered with the discovery of each new tomb and artifact or reinterpretation of ancient papyrus texts. Very few scholars are willing to relinquish old views in light of newly discovered data which con contradict the norm. 
Ancient artifacts not only have to be unearthed, they sometimes have to be rescued from contemporary misinterpretations. John Anthony West discusses the reticence some scholars express when they are exposed to new theories. Nobody likes being proved wrong, but in the case of the scholar or scientist, a sound theory that contradicts views held in pursued for a lifetime pulls the rug out from under his or her ego and a familiar paradoxal situation develops. The people professionally engaged in discovering the quote-unquote truth are those psychologically least capable of, of accepting the truth if it happens to contradict what they already believe. Nowhere is this more apparent than in Egyptology. As we examine the many controversial theories, it will become obvious that most of them could be easily tested and either accepted or refuted if only the parties involved, be they in the orthodox or unorthodox camps, would take the trouble to consider the evidence presented by the opposition. The modern Egyptian is the byproduct of countless peoples who have occupied invaded and traded in North Africa for thousands of years. The Persians, Greeks, Romans, Arabs, Turks, French, British, Germans, and countless other nationalities have intermingled with the native African population to produce a new people who have inherited, by right of possession of the land, the legacy of African peoples. The Egypt of today is not the Kemet of yesterday. Yes, the land is still the same, and the monuments evoke memories of ages long gone, but the people in their spirit are profoundly different.